0: And if you're still in the room, would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 22. Matthew 8, 18 to 22. I'm going to read this section, but I'm also going to include a section from Luke's account, the parallel account, in Luke chapter 9, just verses 61 and 62. Matthew 8.18 reads, Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And Luke 9, verses 61 says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In this gospel account, Jesus identifies three vices that grip the hearts of many Americans today. He identifies three trolls that lie in wait under the bridge to salvation. Three sirens who seduce many to shipwreck their faith. Three gods with little g's who are worshipped even by those who attend Sunday service. These idols fly under the radar because they're easy to hide behind religion especially American Christianity the church doesn't check under the hood so to speak when there are when somebody is a comfortable christian or if somebody is a wealthy christian or if someone is a family oriented christian doesn't seem to be an issue there but jesus shows in this passage that these Decent and honorable things can be idols that prevent you, that keep you from truly following Him. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to be a Christian that is comfortable, or a Christian that's wealthy, or a Christian that is family-oriented, but Jesus wants to make sure that that word Christian comes first. That you are not primarily identified as a wealthy Christian, or a comfortable Christian, or a family-oriented, but you're a Christian who's wealthy. And that if push came to shove, at the end of the day, that idol takes the back burner, the second place, and Christ comes first. These idols, or these decent and honorable things, can easily become idols that keep people from truly following Him. And it kept these Men from truly following Jesus, from surrendering all in commitment to Him in this account. You know, Jesus loves you too much to allow you to be deceived into thinking that these idols can have you and you can have Him. No one can serve two masters. Either He'll hate the one and love the other, or He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. When you follow one, the other must be left behind. So what idols do you worship this morning? What are these maybe decent and honorable things that are holding you back from true surrender to Jesus Christ? He's going to call you today to count the cost of discipleship. Are you truly following Him? By the way, these are not idols that you leave at the door when you come to Christ, but then you pick back up along the way as a disciple. These are idols that we must continually forsake. Continually leave behind in our lives. Not be tempted to hold them with a tight grip, but surrender all to follow Jesus. Are you doing that this morning? Jesus is going to challenge us to do that in this text. And so look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18. It says this, Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, He gave orders to go over to the other side. There is some momentum in Jesus' ministry at this point. There's some excitement building. There's a crowd following Him. I mean, Jesus is fascinating. He's fascinating the crowds by preaching the gospel of the promised kingdom. Telling them that He's the fulfillment of these promises. Jesus is healing people with incurable diseases. He's exercising demons with a word. He's clearly a man with divine power and authority. At the very least, many of these people are fascinated with him, but there are very few who actually have faith or believe in faith. Now Jesus is in Capernaum, which is the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's crossing over to the east to the country of the Gadarenes. And You've got to realize here, when Jesus saw a crowd around, when he saw, then he gave orders to go over to the other side, he's creating a decision point here. He's leaving the crowds at a crossroads. Either they stay and they lose Jesus, or they follow Jesus and lose something else. Do you see the crossroad here? The decision point? It's the same crossroad, the same decision point every person who receives the gospel call, the call to discipleship, must face. Either you follow Him and leave your idols behind, or you keep the idols and lose Jesus. The call to discipleship, the call to follow Jesus, is not add Jesus to your life as it's convenient as it's comfortable, when it's exciting, and then subtract him when it becomes inconvenient, when it becomes uncomfortable. When, say, life becomes mundane, that's not what true disciples do. True disciples deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and follow him. True disciples say with Eric Little in his last breath, it's complete surrender. That's the life of a disciple, a follower of Christ. It's complete surrender. I'm willing to give everything up to follow Him. That's the cost of discipleship. Again, either you keep that idol and lose Jesus, or you follow Him and lose that idol. Christ before everything else. Christ even at the expense of everything else. Have you been at the crossroads? Have you been at this decision point have you consciously left behind your sin, left behind those idols that took first place in your life, and surrendered all to follow Jesus? These people in this account were left at a physical crossroads. Literally, if they decided to lose Jesus, they would have to stay behind. But if they decided to follow Him, they'd leave something else. But this, is this physical crossroads is the same spiritual crossroads that you and I face in our decision to follow Jesus. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision sitting here this morning? Or are there still idols that grip your heart? Like I said, I see here in this account, combining both Matthew's and Luke's, three idols that will keep you from following Jesus. In other words, or said another way, three things you must be willing to lose to follow Jesus. You may not be asked to literally get rid of them, but they better not have the throne of your heart, so to speak. Three idols that keep you from following Jesus. The first is uh, represented by the first man, the scribe. And the first idol is comfort. Comfort. Look at verse 19. It says says, A scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That is an enthusiastic profession. By a scribe. You know the scribes. Scribes were experts in the law. Scribes, a big deal. Jesus caught a big fish here. This man is used to others calling him teacher, but he recognizes Jesus as the one who taught with authority, not like him. He's recognizing Jesus as the teacher. And he says, he makes this bold for profession, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, that's exciting. This man is at the very least fascinated and it seems as though he has faith. And, and what a statement coming from a scribe, an expert in the law. I mean, this is a man with great communication skills and, and, and a lot of study and a lot of knowledge. This would be a man that could help Jesus in the pulpit. Maybe rotate with him in the synagogue. This would be a helpful addition. A man of influence. But Jesus sees past the enthusiasm. He sees past this man's position, his accolades. He sees this man's heart. Jesus knows that when he says, I'll follow you wherever you go, what he really means is, I'll follow you wherever there is a bed. Because that's what Jesus addresses in his response. Look at Jesus' response. Look at verse 20. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I love the simplicity of Jesus' illustrations. Jesus, most of his teaching outside, he's pointing to nature and comparing his principles to natural things so that everybody understands. Look at the bird. Oh, you see that nest there in the tree? They have a place to sleep, don't they? Look at the fox. Very prominent in that area. Look at that. den in the ground. The fox has a place to see to sleep. The Son of Man, yours truly, not even a pillow. Nowhere to lay my head. Not a bed. And by the way, that's what you can expect if you follow me. Why was Jesus so sharp in his response? Why did he address the bed issue? The place of stay. It's because Jesus saw this man's heart. He saw that there's an idol here that nobody else sees. See, Jesus reads hearts like you and I read picture books. It's clearly displayed before him. And that's what the Lord addresses in every single one of his interactions. You remember when the Pharisees questioned his authority to forgive sins? Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, responds. Remember when Nicodemus approached Jesus at night? Before Nicodemus even asks the question, Jesus answers it. The woman at the well in Samaria, remember she's being coy, kind of uh, concealing her true identity. And Jesus tells her everything she ever did. Jesus sees the heart. And so in every single one of these professions or requests, Jesus sees what's behind it. And he addresses it. And this man's idol is his comfort. Calvin writes this about this man. This man wants to fight in the shade. He's neither. He wants to be neither annoyed by sweat nor by dust. See, a scribe would be accustomed to receiving a great welcome by communities. This scribe, as he travels around teaching, he would be hosted in the homes of the wealthy. He would have not only a bed, but an entire quarter given to him, served meals throughout the day. Scribes were honored, respected. They would receive gifts, honorarium for their eloquent speeches. It's unthinkable that a scribe would find himself bedless on a journey. Certainly this scribe didn't count that cost. All, he was thinking following Jesus meant, well, Jesus is a good scribe and a good authority and a teacher. That means he's surely in a bed. I'll be in a bed too. But Jesus says, follow me, and you're going to have nowhere to lay your head. Follow me, in other words, and it's going to get uncomfortable, to say the least. We idolize comfort too, don't we? We don't recognize how much we value our comforts until they're taken away from us. I remember uh, a mission trip, my first mission trip to Albania. And we taught this English Bible camp for the Albanian youth, and the camp was held uh, at a campground up in the mountains of Albania, okay, the the wilderness. There was no running water. The toilet was a big hole in the ground. And uh, I remember one of the meals we were served, it it was a lukewarm bowl of water with uncooked noodles plopped in, and there was this cube of what I would describe as cheese placed in the lukewarm bowl of water. And that was our meal for the day. And then there was one night where uh, we we slept in tents and we slept in this valley and uh, kind of this valley area and there's a massive thunderstorm that came through that night and it rained on us all night. I literally woke up lying in two to three inches of water. The whole valley flooded. All my clothes soaked, obviously whole body soaked, pillows soaked. Sleeping bags soaked, suitcase soaked, all the documents for my English lesson soaked. I was miserable. Woke up in the morning, ready to just complain, right? Grumble and whine to the first person I see. Well, guess what the first person I saw was? A joyful, smiling, laughing Albanian boy. He acted as if nothing had happened the night before. He slept in the same conditions I did. The tent right next to me. But he was filled with joy. You know why? He didn't miss something he never had. This boy is probably used to sleeping on the streets. No home, no family. Like most of them did. He didn't miss comforts that he never had. It was another another day out on the town for him. Another night in Albania. We value comfort and and sometimes we uh, take them for granted living in the country that we do with the wealth that we have. How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? What are the comforts that you value and you can't live without? How about that full night's rest that you value so highly? How about the three full meals a day that you receive? How about the safe communities that you live in? How about the re- mutual respect from, from coworkers? The fact that you can be a Christian and have a coworker that's Muslim and there's no issue. It's a free country. How about all the freedoms and rights that you enjoy? These comforts, really, that you have living in a free country. The question is would you be willing to leave those things behind if Jesus asked you? If obeying Christ meant leaving the comfortable, would you do it? Are you willing to share the gospel with your family, even though it might be awkward, uncomfortable? Are you willing to stand up for what's right at work, even though you might be known as that guy or, or, or that girl, and it might make things a little bit uncomfortable for you? Are you willing to sacrifice sleep? Wake up earlier to read your Bible? Are you willing to serve on Sundays, even though it is your only day off, and, and you've had a long week. Are you willing to sacrifice those comforts for the sake of Christ, to follow him, to surrender all to him? Every nook and cranny of your comfortable life is Christ. Him first, Him above my comfort. Decisions made for Christ at some point will become uncomfortable. It is pretty easy. It is pretty comfortable, so to speak, to be a Christian in America. Because we have a lot of rights and protections. But when those things are removed, are you willing to let them go for the sake of Christ? To continue to follow Him wherever He takes you, bed or no bed. The first idol is comfort. First idol is comfort. The second idol we see in this this passage is wealth. Wealth. Verses 21 and 22. It says, another of the disciples said to him, disciple, by the way, just means learner or follower. I don't think this is one of the 12 disciples. This is probably one from among the crowds who was following him for some time. And this is what this person says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me go first and bury my father. Now, this seems at face value like an honorable request. I mean, let the man bury his father. His father just died. I mean, surely the Lord's not going to deny him that honorable duty to follow him. But what what we don't see and and what is actually common in this culture is that a burial would happen the day of the death. Uh, This man would not be in Jesus' presence if his father was actually dead and he had to still bury him. This man was waiting for his father to die. His father was either in decline or his father was of old age, and he's, he's waiting. He's, he's asking Jesus, can you give me some time until my father passes is, and then I bury him like a proper older son would do in this society, in this culture. So that's really what he's asking Jesus. But remember, Jesus sees behind this man's request. He sees there's an idol. There is, uh, behind the honorable request is a dishonorable idol that is preventing this man from truly following me. And that's why Jesus responds the way he does. There's something in the way here. What's in the way of this man following Jesus? Well, scholars will disagree on what is preventing this man from following Christ. What is the idol? What is the issue? Some scholars will say it's just a case of delayed discipleship. Okay? He's just asking for time. He's asking for time to do an honorable thing, but asking for time from the more honorable person is what's wrong here in this case. In the the first case, he had the scribe. He was too quick to say, I'll follow you wherever I go, wherever you go. Now this second man, he's just too slow, is what they'll say. He's too slow. He doesn't respond immediately. And that's the proper response to discipleship. When Jesus told Andrew and Peter, follow me, what did they do? They left their nets Immediately, and they followed him. What about James and John? He called them, follow me. They left their father and their nets, and they immediately followed him. So immediately, immediate obedience is the right response to the call to follow. So some will say this is just delayed discipleship. This man is prioritizing, uh, doing an honorable thing, and and the time that he needs to do that over following Christ. But I think there's more behind that. And some other scholars would agree. There's another aspect of this which should be considered. And that is the events and the the activity that happens around the father's death. So if this man's father isn't dead yet, what else is this man waiting for? Well, I believe this man is waiting for the goods he receives when his father dies. Not explicit in the text, but... It's an obvious implication on what this man could be waiting for. The transfer of the estate, essentially to get his financial affairs in order when his father passes, and then he'll be ready to follow Jesus. This is actually a nice way for a man in this culture to essentially say, hey, let me just collect what's coming to me, and then I will follow you. Let me tidy up my father's estate. Let me see the transfer through, and then I'll commit to discipleship. And if that's the case, then Jesus' proverb in response actually makes more sense. Look at what Jesus says in response to this man, verse 22. He says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, come on, you've got to ask the question, how does a dead man bury another dead man? This is a proverb. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, allow the spiritually dead to be concerned and carry out the matters of the physically dead. In other words, it could be understood this way. Let the earthly minded be concerned with the matters of earthly goods, earthly possessions, You can't serve God in wealth. Jesus has already made that abundantly clear, Matthew 6. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I believe Jesus reveals this man's earthly treasure. His idol is wealth. At the very least, he's idolizing, delaying what he thinks is more honorable than following Christ, which is most honorable. If money is your idol, you've got to understand Jesus will literally following Jesus will literally cost you. If money is your idol, following Jesus will literally cost you. At some point, He's going to say, "Leave the money on the table, and follow Me." You remember what He told the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? Money and possessions were were, were his idols, and what did He tell him? Go sell. What you possess. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Is wealth your idol? Is money your king? And you know what? You don't have to have multi-generational wealth to idolize money. There are poor people who covet and are greedy and stingy just as much as rich people. I've seen people make life-altering decisions for a bump in the salary or to save the pension. In fact, there's one man I talked to I know of. He moved his family to a foreign country for three years, didn't know the language, didn't know the people of the region. There was no knowledge of a good church in the area. And he did this entire move for the sake of his pension. Three years, family in a foreign country, and no good local church. I've heard several men come up to me and say, hey, listen, once I get established in my career, then I'll attend church on Sundays. Or then I'll take Jesus seriously. You know, those are those negative examples, but there are plenty of positive examples. I know other men who I can name person after person who've left literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table Because the offer would take them away from obeying Christ's commands. Society says, fool, take the money. Be patient. Wait for the full pension. Take the bigger salary. Jesus says, listen, followers, followers. Everyone who's left something or someone for my name's sake in this life will take a hundredfold in my kingdom. Jesus doesn't call you to leave riches for poverty. He calls you to leave spiritual poverty for heavenly riches. Don't idolize or worship money here. Look forward to the inheritance to come. The money here pales in comparison. Are you willing to leave money on the table to follow Jesus, to obey His Word? Do you count the cost of following Him Because you cannot serve God and money. The two idols, the two gods, one little G and one big G, do not share. Two persons in this account. The scribe and the disciple. Two idols that withhold them from full surrender, fully following Jesus at His call. And I want us to cross-reference to a final one here. A cross-reference to Luke's Gospel. And catch a third person with a third idol. <clears throat> I believe it's just as relevant and applicable to us today. Now, obviously, Luke gives a parallel account, and uh, it's the same situation, and, and Luke includes one final approach, a person who requests to follow Jesus, but but, but wants to take care of something else first. The third idol I see here is family. Family. So if you look at Luke 9, verses 61-62. to Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... There's the problem. How many of you heard that one from your kids? Yeah, I'll obey, but... First... Yeah, I'll come to the table, but... Let me first finish my video game or or finish this level. I haven't killed the boss yet. Or, you know, hang out with my friends just five more minutes, Mom. But, what we'll tell our kids, delayed obedience is not obedience. First time, immediate. The response needs to be okay. I'm in. I'm following you. Not this man. He says, Lord, I will follow you. Great. But, oh no. Something's holding him back. Something's holding him. Bad. There, there are no ifs, ands, or buts in discipleship. Either you keep that idol and lose Jesus, or you follow Him and you lose that idol. Christ before everything else. Christ even at the expense of everything else. Not Christ and, Christ is it. He says, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Alright, come on, Jesus. That is a decent ask. You're not going to let this guy say goodbye to his family. That's all he wants to do. He just wants to say goodbye. I mean, how, what would that take? Maybe 10 minutes? I don't know. He's, 30 minutes, maybe, round trip. He's outside the town. Let him give some, some hugs and kisses, and then he'll follow you, Jesus. He, that's his only request. How big? How, how big is that? Well, Jesus, again, remember, He knows and He sees something that we cannot see. And that's this man's heart. Behind this seemingly honorable request is a dishonorable idol. Jesus knows if this man goes back, he's not going to be able to let go. And what he's not going to be able to let go of is his family. Look at what Jesus says to him. Jesus says in response, no one, who puts his hand to the plow, there's the analogy for discipleship, follow me, and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is a simple analogy. When you push a plow, where do you need to look forward to plow a straight line? If you are plowing, pushing, and looking back, how straight do you think that line will be? Not straight, crooked. You'll turn naturally. You essentially become a worthless plowman, a worthless worker, if you are pushing the plow and looking back. And that's what Jesus says. There are no worthless workers fit for the kingdom of God. You're going to be a worthless disciple, a worthless worker, because you don't worship me. You're not truly following me. You worship something else. And what is this man looking back to? His family. Those at home. Now, just so you know, I I don't believe that this is his wife and kids that he's talking about. Uh, Especially in that culture, multi-generational household. I believe he's referring back to his parents. Because obviously, Jesus would not call him to, at least for a long period of time, leave his wife, leave his children. There are Christian responsibilities there. I believe he's calling him to leave extended family. Maybe mother and father, perhaps, perhaps. Likely, it's that case. Jesus knows this man can't look forward. He can't look forward. He might push the plow, but he can't look forward. He's going to be keep looking back, looking back to his family. Well, I think that cuts all of us to the heart because we all think, "Oh, well, aren't, aren't our families good things? Aren't families gifts from God? They are." Families are gifts from the Lord, precious gifts, right, to many of us? For some of us, it might be easier to leave family behind. For others, it would be very difficult because we love our family. We love them. They're good gifts to us from God. But you've got to understand this. We as sinfully wicked creatures, we will turn good gifts from God into little gods and worship them. We do that all the time. We take good and decent things that God has given us, like family, like wealth and money, and we turn it into a little God, a God that we serve and worship before God, the one who gave us the gift. We do this all the time. We twist good and perfect gifts from God and make them please our own selfish indulgences. We do that with the gift of sex and romance. It's designed by God, given to us to be fulfilled in the context of a, worship, uh, of a marriage covenant, but we take it outside the marriage covenant and fulfill our own desires the way we want to, not the way God designed for us to fulfill with his gifts. We do this with all good things. We take a good gift from God and we twist it and we can make it an idol and we could cling to tightly to it. Even family can be an idol. Jesus says later, in the book of Matthew in Matthew 10 verse 34 to 39. In fact, go there. This is a strong word from the Lord Jesus. Matthew 10 34 through 39. We need to hear this today. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever, here's the key, loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. That is a strong word from Jesus on the priority of worship. The priority of your loves. You cannot love father or mother more than Christ if you're a true disciple. You cannot love son or daughter, ouch, more than Christ if you're a true disciple. Do you idolize your family? Are they more important than the Lord Jesus Himself to you? When a, boy, a young boy comes to me and he wants to be baptized, I reference this passage often, and I always ask them this question. I say, hey, if your mom and dad stormed out of church next Sunday, and they were mad with something that I preached, and I build this whole situation for them, and they say, you know what, we're not just mad about what Morgan preached, we're mad about the whole Bible just in general, because we don't want to obey God's Word. And in fact, we, don't, not, we just don't want to obey this section, but we're going to walk away from Christianity altogether, We're denying the faith. We as a family, your mother and I, we're never going back to church. We're not following Christ anymore. We're going to find a new religion, a new way to live elsewhere. And I asked this young man, would you still follow Jesus? What am I trying to get at in this, guys? I want to know from this young boy, 12, 11, 10 years old, is he willing to follow Jesus before mom and dad? Even at the expense of, of what mom and dad say or how mom and dad treat him. is he have a faith of his own or is this a faith that he just has because mom and dad believe? I want to know from this young boy, does he truly want to be baptized? Because he will follow Jesus at every cost. Is he willing to follow Jesus even at the expense of losing mom and dad? Because Christ has to come first. Christ has to come before family. Even family. There's another young man in college. This is recently. He was invited to a, a church event. He heard the gospel and he was saved. With tears of joy, he received Christ. But the smile was quickly followed by a frown, a pensive frown. And the person who had led him to the Lord in a conversation said, Hey, what's wrong? He said, uh, I'm going to have to find a new place to live. What do you mean? He said, if I tell my parents I became a Christian, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kicked out. Because see, his parents were Buddhists, devout Buddhists, and ascribing to any other faith or any other uh, doctrine of beliefs would would cost him his place to live as a young collegian, early twenties. You know what he did? He went home. He told his parents. He was kicked out. By God's grace, the church surrounded this young man, gave him a place to live, and in fact, he was married just a couple weeks ago. I found out he was married, Christian, still walking with the Lord. But his parents forsook him, left him. That was the cost for this young man. And that's not first century. That's today. This young man chose to follow Jesus, Jesus before even my family. See, following Jesus is easy when the family's on board. Many of us don't have to worry about those issues, you know. Um, Our families are approving of our Christian faith. Maybe you even have Christian family members. But when one of them disagrees or, or when pressure comes to conform and actually disobey God's word but obey the expectations of mother and father, or if your family demands from you more than what Christ requires, the question must be asked, will you defer to your family or will you defer to Christ and follow Him first, first? One example, recently, you know, when the government said, you can't go to church, you know, many of us, we would raise hell and say, no, we will be at church on Sunday, right? We will not miss the gathering of the saints. That is God's expectation for us. That's God's order, not the government's order. Ra rah, ra ra. but mom has a birthday brunch and it falls on Sunday. All of a sudden, oh, Sunday service takes a back seat. Let's go to the birthday brunch. Let's go to a couple birthday brunches. We can attend the family event before service. Is there a disconnect there? Maybe revealing priorities, idols in our hearts, is family your idol? I don't know. The Lord knows. Jesus knows. He reads your hearts. Like you and I read picture books. He sees what you love first. He sees your priorities, your idols, the gods that you worship. Are you willing, even if it would cost you, are you willing to leave father, mother, brother, sister, son, or daughter for Christ? Christ. You know, the call to follow Jesus is not a suggestion. It's not a half hearted plea for half hearted followers. It's complete surrender, as Eric Little said. It's whole life demand, everything or nothing. Either you keep that idol and you lose Jesus, or you follow him and you lose that idol. That is the cost of discipleship. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that every single one of us would take the call of Jesus seriously. That we would not try to add Jesus to other gods in our lives, other gods that we worship, but that we would fully surrender to Jesus Christ, follow Him at the expense of all else. That we would truly count the cost to be true disciples of Jesus and follow him but lord help us who are followers who are disciples to not get caught up in those old ways to not pick up those idols that we left behind help us to remember that our whole lives are wholly surrendered to jesus and that if there's anything that competes with worship of christ that we would dethrone it in our hearts we repent of our sin come back to christ fully and wholly Because Jesus is more precious to us than all else. He is our King. He is our Savior. We would gladly surrender all petty things, all earthly matters for the kingdom, for the King, and for the great inheritance awaiting us in heaven. Help us keep our priorities straight in life. And to truly follow Christ with all of our hearts unbridled devotion to Christ i pray that for every person here today In jesus name amen